not its face, or we can't relate to who these guys are or pronounce their names super great, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pause and just get to the ones that we do know at the end. <laughs> hey, I see a Jacob and a Joseph and a Mary. I can do that one. All right, so let's, let's give it some thinking here. And my title today uh, is also by way of introduction as well. Uh, I, I came up with a title just to kind of poke back a little bit. What does our culture scream at us this time of year? You can have it. You too can have it. Look at the commercials in the next 24 hours that you will watch. And they will offer you something. And I love when they have the luxury vehicles that I would never drive and they put the payment on the screen. You can have it. It can be yours for this. If you rob something every month to pay this payment, <laughs> whatever it happens to be, okay? Uh, and so that's what our culture screams, but, but, but Christianity and following Jesus, and, and as it's revealed here in Matthew 1, who our Savior is, there's such a different tone. If we would shut some of that noise out and just spend some time in Advent, let me encourage you to, to do that and to meditate on these names or, or get on your app and find an Advent reading plan. It's not too late to, to just have that time. Carve it out. Make your mind think about different things than the world uh, will tell you. And so what I want you to have today, what I want desperately in my own life today is... Joy, And I don't mean joy because uh, we've come through the magical church doors and we have the smile on our face and we're happy, happy, happy. Look how great everything is. No, like joy. It may not be great. It may be difficult. We're going to get into some difficulty in these verses. But but there's something that sustains us. That's always what I think of when I think of joy. So we'll carry that definition with us this morning, how God can, can plant something in our heart. The, whole, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. It works from within us and it changes us. So a little bit of framework as we get going this morning. Joy. For different circumstances, different seasons of our lives, and and the first uh, is I want to get is going to be the most difficult, and it's going to be a curse. The very beginning here, after the deportation to Babylon, it says Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. And I want to focus on this first guy here, uh, Jeconiah. Uh, he is associated with a direct curse from the Lord. That sounds kind of heavy. That doesn't sound very joyful. This is Joy Sunday, Kevin. Well, I want you to see this. We'll explain this as we, as we get to um, understanding who some of these people are. I want the words of Scripture always to be able to speak to us. And so when we hear the name Jeconiah and we put that into our search engine or whatever, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that back in, in Jeremiah 22 that, that God had some really harsh words. Look at the very bottom of the screen there where it says, Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days. In their culture those words would have rung very, very heavily in the ears of those who listened. As this prophecy is proclaimed and then recorded in the book of Jeremiah, we uh, see that God had a, a curse for, 
for Jeconiah uh, in mind. And, and uh, listen, I can't solve everything that's going to go on here in Jeremiah 22. I'm going to get you to another verse a little bit later. Uh, but we need to know that there's a, a price to pay for sinfulness and rebellion. And at this course, at the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah is the face of Judah. And it's not a good face. There's a remnant there, and it's terrible. And uh, the deportation has happened, and, and Jeconiah is not a, a great uh, guy. And this is why God has uh, really hard words for him. But even though it doesn't sound super joyful, I want us to point to how God can sustain us and to to trust and to know that He is in charge. I don't bring this up today for you to struggle through. Am I cursed uh, because I've been disobedient? Listen, friends, in that sense, we're all cursed because of our disobedience. And we, we don't have a way to relate to God by our own strength. And we need Jesus. And we're going to get to a lot of that today. So don't spend your time under the weight of, Oh, am I cursed because I did this or I didn't ask for forgiveness for this specific thing. Uh, there are things in our past that may, may bear all kinds of unhealthy fruit. But I, I want us to, to look toward health today. And I want you to see that even in the really dark time of disobedience, God isn't afraid to mention this. I think this can be a real encouragement to us. Sometimes when we think about our own disobedience, or there's somebody in our lives who's disobedient, and it's, it really, in our, our minds, we struggle over and over. Maybe it's a family member or one of our children who is wayward, and we just don't know what to do with it. Uh, I want to remind you today that even in, in this, here is God and His Word inspiring Matthew by the power of the Holy Spirit to write down and to say, hey, look, everybody, my kids didn't have it all together. Jeconiah is one of those kings that just doesn't have a lot of good on his record. But overarching, we see that God moves through it. We see that he's willing to allow it to come to light so his greater purposes can be understood. And what if that is true wherever we have struggled, wherever we have sinned, that it, it doesn't have to stay on us forever and ever, that we can zoom out and we can try uh, and say, God, would you show us a, a bigger purpose? Would you show us something different? None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Now that's kind of interesting because we've been talking about this genealogy and how it moves toward Jesus. And so here's Jeconiah who, who is cursed and it says that his offspring <laughs> won't sit on the throne of David or rule again in Judah. And we're going to get to this. I want, I want to give you a little bit, little bit wider picture as we go through this today. Okay, so that's circumstance number one. Uh, There is a curse. Circumstance number two is optimism. There is this character at the end of verse 12, and his name is Zerubbabel, uh, which, uh, if we follow this, would be the grandson of Jeconiah. Zerubbabel is a figure of optimism. He is part of the party that comes back after the exile 
Which makes sense if it's about 70 years, a couple generations later. Hey, Grandpa was the king back then, and now Zerubbabel, the grandson, is one of the people coming back to help rebuild the place. If we're just doing basic math, that sounds uh, about right, and and that makes some sense for us. And and so I I think about things being rebuilt, and I think about optimism. You have to imagine being uh, a part of the group that's coming back from the captivity in Babylon, and it was a difficult time, and even though there was some prosperity there, and and they, they obeyed. Jeremiah and they had started some businesses had some families there were certainly some people that wanted to go back this is our land we got booted out because we were disobedient and so they wanted to go back and they 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 were able to do that and so here's this optimism they're going to come back they're going to rebuild the city and part of what they're rebuilding and part of what Zerubbabel is noted for is that he rebuilds the temple and so there's all this optimism I don't know if you saw it this week. One of the the news uh, channels in Cleveland had an article about Summit Lake, just a mile down the road. And Summit Lake's getting like $8 million over the next five years. And they're going to do some renovation on the north end of it and uh, make it really beautiful and put in a fountain and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, that's really neat. And I I might go, okay, well, we have a couple of ways we can respond to that news. You might think, well, that sounds great. Well, there's some money and there's some investment. And maybe you look at that and you say, well, there's some optimism there. Or maybe you just remember Summit Lake for being such an awful connotation for so long that you're, oh, man, nothing good could come out of that dump. Right? Maybe you feel that way. It's hard to be optimistic. But maybe... You're in this room and you can think even back another generation beyond that and you can have these wonderful memories about being at Summit Lake when it was a great place to be. And so I don't know how you're relating today about optimism, but here are these people coming back and Zerubbabel right here in the the genealogy of Jesus is one of these figures. He's a figure of optimism. And so while Grandpa was cursed, we see Zerubbabel who reverses that. Now, Here's the language in Haggai. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, here's the imagery. I'm not going to get into the whole thing about signet rings, but we know what jewelry is, we know what rings are, and generally, you either put on a ring or you take it off. Would you be shocked to find out that just a few verses before what I read you in Jeremiah, that part of God's curse to Jeconiah was that he would take him off like a signet ring. Same language. Go back a few verses if you're still in Jeremiah 22 and look at 24 instead of 28 and 29. And you'll see this imagery where Jeconiah is cursed. But here, just a couple generations later, God's got a different purpose. And there's even, even some evidence in the rabbis in the way that they wrote that Jeconiah himself turned and repented. Even at the end of great seasons of disobedience, people can repent. Manasseh is a king who comes to mind if you're a note taker. Write down Manasseh if you've never heard of him. And look him up in the Chronicles. You can't do the account in the Kings because they won't tell you about Manasseh's repentance. You've got to do the one in the Chronicles. And it's amazing that people can repent. And it's amazing that the thing can turn. But there's all this hope and there's all this optimism. And that's part of Zerubbabel's spirit is that God now is putting that ring back on. And we're going to do something. We're going to redeem this, this disobedience. Now listen, we know that this didn't stick. We know biblically that once they got back and they got the temple rebuilt and they got some of the things set up, that, that their obedience to God didn't, didn't last. And we're going to talk about that today too. But I did find this interesting fact as we think about optimism. Whose temple lasted longer? Solomon's or Zerubbabel's? 
Zerubbabel's temple lasted longer. It was the temple that Jesus was dedicated in when Mary and Joseph brought him to Jerusalem. How's that for some optimism? Oh, that was really cool. All right? So, you just never know what God is doing. And I don't know that it's just a personality thing. I tend to be optimistic, for the most part, in my personality. I try to, try to find the good. And some people might say, well, it's just your personality. But uh, I read this illustration, and it made me think... Uh, that this can be taught, okay? There's a, what they call with young children, and I, I forget the ages, but um, I'm going to say around five. And what they would do is they would tell the young children, you have two options. Here is a marshmallow. And you can have the marshmallow right now, or what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, and I have a few things I have to do, and I'm going to come back, and you have more than one marshmallow if you're willing to wait until I get back. And so they did this study, and wouldn't you know it, yeah, there was kids that took the marshmallow, of course, right? It's hard for a kid to not put a marshmallow in their face, but what they found was that the kids who were willing to wait turned out in the, in the longer run to be far more well-adjusted as adults. And I think it just says something to, are we able to kind of pause on where we are right now, even if things might seem negative, and to say, I wonder if God can bring something out of this. That is certainly on the page in these couple of verses. Actually, just in verse 12, the distance between Jeconiah and Zerubbabel is a big distance in going from curse to optimism. And it's a couple generations. And we might think to ourselves, well, I don't want to have to wait a generation. But sometimes we might. And we don't like to wait because we have microwaves (laughs) and we have cars and we have instant TV streaming and everything in our lives is, is just set up so we can get what we want and get it now and not have to worry about that. But let me encourage you today to, no matter what is difficult, that this, this joy, you too, you too can ask questions to say, I wonder, I wonder what the Lord might be using in this season of my life to prepare for something down the road. Circumstance number one, curse. Circumstance number two, optimism. You too can have joy in different seasons of your life, even in obscurity. I'm not going to try to say all these names again. Abiud, uh, Elia, Eliakim, uh, Azor. I'm not going to try to go through that whole list, but if you glance at these names, uh, there was one thing uh, that I found uh, about these names that is in contrast to all uh, many of the other names that we've found so far in this genealogy. There are some really famous people in this genealogy. It can feel top-heavy. David is in here. King David. This goes back to Abraham. And we follow it down through his line. We talked about some of the well-known kings like Solomon, Uzziah, Hezekiah. You go back and you study some of these people, and they're going to have, in the Bible dictionary, they're going to have these big, long entries. 
And if you don't have a Bible dictionary, you can get one online. Just probably do a search for Bible dictionary or if you use Bible Gateway's website on the, on the right, even in the free version, uh, down at the bottom is a Bible dictionary. I want you to go through and I want you to put in some of the names that are in here. Go ahead and put in uh, uh, Zadok or Achim or Eliakim or Azor and put their names in. And it's, it's really funny It's almost like the authors were trying to say something nice about these people. And really all they do is restate what the text already says. I read a few of these entries in the Bible Dictionary to see if if there was anything of substance about some of these people. And there's really not. All it says is, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so and the father of so-and-so. And that's why I know that from reading the text. Tell me something about this person. So you get Zerubbabel who has this big long thing. But here you get all these other names in this passage today that nobody seems to know anything about. Think about that. Do you ever feel like nobody notices what you're doing? (laughs) Do you ever feel like what on earth does what I'm doing right now make any difference to anyone in the grand scheme. You ever feel that way? I think it can be a little bit encouraging to get in touch with that. These people, from generation to generation, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, we know that they were Deuteronomy 6 type of people. And I bold it out there, uh, love the Lord your God, all your heart, your soul, and your might. And these words, a command shall be on your heart. And look, teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. It is not an insignificant thing to teach the faith to someone or to talk about the Bible at dinner. It's not an insignificant thing. Out of the obscurity of these men who certainly did this, at some level had some knowledge and made this genealogy and continued the generations, even though we don't know anything about them, we know that they were a bridge from the group that came back from the deportation until the birth of Christ. can be very, very tricky in our world. There are, uh, especially in uh, the United States and what we might call the West, if you think of North America, Western Europe, you, you'll, you'll, if you study Christianity, modern Christianity, uh, the, some of the most recognizable people are really gifted pastors, leaders, communicators, writers, and a lot of people seem to, to gravitate toward my favorite you know, radio pastor or my favorite author. I love this guy. He wrote so many books. Or, or, or this lady has a great blog and I love listening to her. And it's almost like we define ourselves by who we follow or who influences us. Well, the goal of being a follower of Jesus isn't so we can get enough followers so we can get recognized. I want to I encourage us today. It's okay First of all, it's okay if you are recognized. I don't think that's a terrible thing, uh, but it comes with it a greater responsibility. 
to see this many names and to know so little about so most of them is encouraging to us. I don't know that it takes fame to get noticed. I think it takes obedience. Here's a... I think it depends on your perspective. Uh, here's a, an illustration that I found. Uh, a man came to a construction site where stonemasons were working. The man said to one, What are you doing? And the stonemason said, Well, you can see I'm chipping a stone. The man walked over to another mason and said, What are you doing? He answered, I'm building a wall. The man walked over to a third mason and said, What are you doing? And this mason answered, I'm building a cathedral. Same sight, different perspective. We have no idea what our toil and obscurity will mean. We don't know. That could very well be a message for you today as an individual if you feel very insignificant. It's a message that, 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 that I really received and, and it really challenged me going through this today. Uh, when I came back from Greece, uh, I was able to go on a short-term missions trip there at the end of October. And uh, when I came back, it, it was like a new season of my life had begun I had shared when I talked about the trip on a Sunday night, I shared how a couple of months prior to that trip were were very, very discouraging months. And I won't go into all that. I still don't know all of the meaning of all of it, but I I really felt during those couple of months like I was running out of steam. I felt uh, very insignificant. I didn't have this sense of... Uh, a strong sense of zeal or, or purpose that I, usually I don't have to manufacture uh, those things. Usually I'm, I'm excited about something and, and ready to go. But uh, for some reason, the gears got all ground up for those couple months. And, and I just felt that way. But uh, I am so excited about how God worked in our team and in my heart uh, during that trip. And, and listen, none of it is huge by the world standards. There's none of the 35 people that went on our trip that are going on some speaking tour, right, to get noticed and sell books and tickets about how great this trip to to Greece was. Generally, it's something obscure, but God can work in different ways. I'm going to just share as well. Steve pointed us forward to 2020. Uh, I want you to be excited about 2020. I'm anxious to share some things that God has been doing in this season since I've come back. Uh, he's given me some, some new uh, insight and new direction in leadership and in life, and I'm really, really excited about 2020. And so um, stay tuned. Stay tuned for early, early next year. We don't know everything that happened in these obscure generations, but we know that it worked. It built the bridge to the Messiah. We'll go ahead and, and move forward here. God intervenes. The very end of this. Verse 16, our passage for today, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Talked a little bit today about how there's so many famous people. Joy could have come very easily to a lot of the people. If you're Solomon... You would have had for a long season of your life a lot of joy because you were blessed. 
The doors, God blew the doors off when he blessed Solomon. The material blessings, the wisdom to be king. How, how easy would it be to have joy if you were King David before that? And you won a sword fight with a stone. Yeah! God is awesome! And you can just look at these different ways in which you have this outward joy. But even if you're on the mountaintop, you need a miracle. Now you might say, well, why is that? If you're in a mountaintop experience and things are going and great and, and God is moving and working in your life, you still need a miracle because it'll be our temptation to take the credit and not give the glory to God. We still need God's intervention even if things are going gangbusters and He's working a lot. It's easier in the valley, in the curse, in the optimism, in the obscurity. It's easier in those seasons to, to relate to, well, I, I need a miracle because I'm just not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure how I'm going to get from here to there, even though there might be some signs of hope or, or there might not. There isn't anybody at this point in our study of Matthew 1 that we haven't named. Verse 16 is the end of the names because, why? Because we end up at Jesus. And so I want to point something out to you about all the names. I want you to ask yourself, what is Matthew's purpose in starting out his gospel this way? There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them have a different purpose. And Matthew writes to show the Jews that Jesus is their Messiah. And he starts his genealogy, or his gospel, with a genealogy. He's the only, of the only one of the four gospel writers to start with a genealogy. And it's to show them that Jesus is the Messiah. It sets the tone for his entire gospel. But what we can say is true about every single name in this genealogy. Again, many heroes, as we found out today, some obscure, uh, joy on the mountaintop, joy through disobedience, joy in obscurity. God keeps sustaining. He keeps moving the thing until when? Until the miracle. What's true of all these people is that none of them were the miracle. Do you notice this about Joseph in verse 16? Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Joseph's line ties Jesus to the Davidic line, which entitles Jesus, uh, not entitles, but includes him uh, as the Messiah. We, we know the Messiah would come out of that line, but it doesn't say Joseph was the father of anybody. Not right now. Not at this point in the story. A miracle. A miracle birth. From a miracle Virgin Mary. A miracle Savior who would bring miracle salvation. Abraham wasn't the miracle. 
David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Uzziah, they weren't the miracle. Zerubbabel, Azor, Zadok, Akim. They weren't the miracle. They weren't the Savior. They weren't the chosen one. All of this pushes us to the point where we see God's miracle. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So today, let's separate our faith from comparing ourselves to other people. We can certainly be inspired by a number of the examples here, but the point is that they all needed Jesus. They all needed the miracle of salvation that only Jesus could offer. And if there's going to be a perfect Son of God who would come and die a perfect death and bleed sinless blood, then it happened because of a miracle. A miracle birth of a miracle virgin. If you're trying to manufacture joy today or in this season... Don't trust in yourself or in the genealogy. Trust in the miracle. Trust in God. Trust in His Son Jesus who He sent for you and for me. And when you find that salvation and the Spirit comes and lives inside and begins to do a work, you will experience those listed fruits of the Spirit, the collective fruit of the Spirit, begin to grow in you. On that list we see joy. Not because we did such a great job of relating to God and and conjuring up some phony emotion. No, because God did a work, a miracle. He guided the generations through all of the good and the bad and acknowledged it and put it on the page for us to study and understand that none of us could do what Jesus was intended to do. My desire for us today is that we would walk out of here full of a joy that we know we never could earn. A joy given to us by our Lord. One that we need One that isn't just for today or for a difficult time. But it is a joy that will fill us forever and ever as we serve Jesus now and forever. I want to invite you into that.